that you deserve all the glory, you deserve all the praise that belong to you. I know, no, Father God. Nothing can stand against you, oh Father God. Nothing can stand against your name, oh Lord God. Because your name is above every other name, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you and we praise you, oh Father God. For you are great, oh Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. You can continue to worship him. Lift up your voices, for he is a worthy God. He is a worthy God. Oh, lift up your voice. Tell him how much you love him this morning. Tell him how much you love him this morning. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We praise your holy name, Lord. We worship you. Our hearts cry out to you. Oh, you are worthy. You are worthy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, you may be seated in the presence of a holy God. I see some new faces, faces I haven't seen in a while. We welcome you all. We're glad you're here. God's glad you're here. And he's the one that's important. This morning we're going to spend a little time talking about miracles. And the working of miracles. In 1 Corinthians 12.1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. He wants us to understand the gifts and what's out there. And who's there to get what? The Holy Spirit says to another, there is a working of miracles. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5. We're just going to go through this. Most of you know these. There is a difference of ministries, but the same Lord. That makes sense, right? There is diversities in the activities, but the same God who works all to all. Understand that. There's diversities, there are different things, but everything that God does, he does all to all. So everything is for the good of all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for profit of all. I mean, the gifts that you're given aren't to glorify you. They're to profit the people of God. Amen. You are to use those gifts to bring forth to God. For one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. 
to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, but one and the same spirit works in all these things, distributing each one individually as he wills. Now, a lot of you don't have one of these gifts, you have several. And you work with several of these gifts and you, you are to use those several gifts for the people of God. Amen. You're to reach out with these gifts to people. I mean, if you get a word of wisdom, you're going to need the knowledge to know what to do with it. Amen. If you get a word of knowledge for someone, you're going to have to go and share it. And it's a very tough thing because a lot of times people will come up and they'll say, God told me to tell you this. You know, and your first thoughts are, well, if God wanted me to know, he could have told me himself. <laughs> but he maybe wanted to test your obedience. He maybe wanted to see if you would really do it. But when you receive that, now you have to test it against scripture. And make sure that it would be something that God would say. Is it covered with God's word? Does, does it agree with God's word? Or is it just something that someone felt like saying and it was their own personal advice? You know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. But the working of miracles are defined this way. It's divine intervention that alters our natural circumstances. It's a supernatural power to do things which are otherwise impossible. A supernatural manifestation of the power of God that alters, suspends, or in some way controls the laws of nature. That is powerful words. Working a miracle. It's a divine intervention. In our healings, we pray a lot of times for God to intervene. Scripture says, by his stripes we are healed. So you should already believe you're healed. You know, whatever it is you have, you're, you're healed of it. You just need to have enough faith to believe you're healed. The faith to move a mountain. A mountain you haven't believed in. In Exodus chapter 14, it says, when the Israelites saw the hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, they feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Well, I mean, any one of us is running down and we see God part the Red Sea. 
we're kind of going to trust them. But there's things that God has done in your lives that are miracles. They're not something that you overcame. It was God's hand that changed it. It was God's intervention. It was his spirit that changed your circumstance. You need to trust God. You need to learn from what God is doing in your life, what God, how God has intervened and taken these things. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, but each one, the same spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually. That goes back to what we read that everybody has this, and there are things that are gonna happen in your life that's gonna be an intervention of God. You know, God may use someone to lay hands on you to heal you. God may lose, use someone to come up and share a prophecy with you, or a word of knowledge, a healing. We're to pursue love and we're to desire the spiritual gifts. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians that we are to especially desire prophecy. God wants us to learn prophecy. He wants us to understand things coming down the road. He wants us to understand why certain things happen. And we can only do that by getting into his word. We can only do that by understanding who he is. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, we run across Stephen. Bible describes him as a man of God, grace and power, and that he performed great wonders and signs among the people. There was a time when the disciples came to the realization that they're to take care of the widows and the orphans that were around the area. Yet they realized that they didn't have the time to do it. That they needed to do what Jesus had assigned them to do. So they looked for different men of valor, men of noble stature, men of God to it. Stephen was one of those. And Stephen did get up and he did perform many miracles and signs and wonder. And he stood up there and he called the Pharisees right out. And he called the Sadducees out. He said, you know, you, you people should have been following Jesus. You know, look at who this man is, what, what he has done. Look what we're doing. And the culture, the Pharisees, 
the people that were in power at that time. Nobody wants to lose power to someone else. So they took Stephen and they stoned him to death. And Stephen said, you know, to God, leave these, these people don't know what they're doing. But it says the heavens open. And they received Stephen. Read it. It's a good story. And then you come to Acts chapter 8, and you run into the multitudes with one accord, heated things spoken by Philip. Philip talked to everybody, but he, he got them all together. He got them on the same page. They all understood what he was talking about. And he went around. And he was doing and healing, and people were seeing the miracles and the healings and what Stephen was doing, or Philip was doing. He was taking out the unclean spirits. The unclean spirits were coming out of people. The demonic powers were leaving. And in those days, they, these unclean spirits were everywhere. And they were coming out like crazy. He said there was a certain man called Simon. He previously practiced sorcery. He astonished, I got one, thank you. He astonished the people of Samaria with his sorcery, his magic, his tricks. And then he heard of Peter. Now, Simon claimed that he was great because of the little witchcraft, the sorcery that he could do. The day came to heed that he found out there was a man of great power of God talking about Philip. They heeded him. They were astonished because this guy's sorcery had lasted so long. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, all these men turned away from Simon. And they went to Jesus and they were all baptized and they all believed in Jesus Christ. This is where we find things. It doesn't matter what we're up against as far as Christians and we will be up against the wall. And there's going to come a time, if you're not feeling it now, you're going to feel it more and so on, where you're standing up for God and the people are just laughing at you, swearing at you, doing whatever they can to mock you, because that's what society is going to become. And you have the opportunity to stand up for Jesus or fall in with society. It'll be your choice. In the Old Testament, we run into Elijah. Elijah the prophet. And he gets this 
message in Second Kings chapter two that this one city has got water that is very, very foul. It's got a really bad taste. And Elijah's there and he, he tells the people, give me some salt. Now you and I know that if we take a glass of water and we put salt in it, it is not gonna taste very good. It's gonna be bitter, but here is Elijah going up to the reservoir or to the lake or whatever, wherever this water source was. And he throws salt in. And as he throws the salt in, the water clears. The horrible taste is gone. It says in scripture that that water remained pure to today. That same water, just from some salt. But getting back to being mocked, as Elijah was leaving the city, it says in scripture, 40 young men came and they started to mock them. The scripture says they called them baldy, baldy. Elijah, he called out a curse on those guys. Two female bears come out and mauled them all. Now we live in a different society. We don't live where we're calling down the wrath of God on I mean, there's sometimes we may want to pray the wrath of God down on someone. But we live under grace. We are to love our neighbors. And let God take care of it. And, and believe me, he will. There will come a judgment where the people that you face that are objecting to you as a Christian will, will pay their dues. But it's not for us to give it to them. In 2 Kings chapter 3, it says, But now bring me a harpist. While the harpist was playing at the hand of the Lord, came upon Elijah. This is what the Lord says. I will fill the valley with pools of water. For this is what the Lord says, that you will see neither wind, rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. Your cattle and all your other animals will drink. This is easy thing of the eyes of the Lord. He also says, I'm going to deliver the people of Moab to you. So they, you know they were fighting with the people of Moab. God says, I'm going to deliver them. You know they're in dry valleys. They're worried about their animals eating and drinking. They're worried about water. And Elijah goes over and tells him, no word. This is what God says. This is what God does. And boom, there's water in the valley. There's fresh grass for them to eat. It's just God working through a prophet, the prophet Elijah. 
Today, God works through each one of you. He gives you an assignment. Go talk to this person. Go pray with this person. I mean, there's been times I've been in line at a store and God said, go pray with this person. You know, and you're like, Jesus. Lord, I don't want to do this. And you, you, it's like he's just tugging you. You know? And at times you don't go, you walk out and you get in your car, all of a sudden you feel horrible. All of a sudden, the, it's like the judgment of the Lord just came on you. And he just filled you with guilt and shame. It's like, you know, it's about, you know, if, if somebody was there, you, you, they were not, and they understood what was going on, you, you would be embarrassed. So listening to God is a hard thing sometimes. I mean, I remember being on Commercial Boulevard next to I-95, and I was at a Shell station. And across the street was a Miami Grill. And sitting on the curb on the sidewalk was this guy. And I'm filling the car up with gasoline, and I hear this voice speak to me, go give him the money in your wallet. I'm like, oh, really, Lord? Oh, please don't have a hundred dollars in there. <laughs> and the Lord says, no, go give him all the money that's in your wallet. That's a hard one. So I finished putting the gas in the car. I walk over to the guy, pull out my wallet, and I reach in and I give him all the cash I had, which at that time was really only $22. But I gave it to him. You know, you, you have to do what the Lord tells you to do. Obedience is very, very important. And it's sometimes really against you know, you, you, things you wonder. I had to give him my money, and now, I'm, now I've got none, you know. But the next day, something happens, or within the hour, sometimes something happens. You know, and you're replenished. Yes. God always gives back to you even more. Yes. Amen. You know, I mean, most of you have heard the story about the missionary, you know, where I was at the church and the missionary is going and reaching and asking for money as every missionary that comes through a, a church always does because that's how they get their support. And God told me, give the guy $150. I said to the Lord, that's all the money I got in the checking account. <laughs> and God says, give him the money. Amen. So I wrote the check. I put it in that thing. 
said, I hope I don't have to write any other checks. <laughs> no, because writing a check to a church or a missionary and have it bounce is really embarrassing. <laughs> but the next day I get to work. Now I work for Palestinian, believe it or not. Ah, and and my, my immediate supervisor was Egyptian. Now, the Egyptian was Christian Eastern Orthodox. The Palestinian was Muslim. But we get in there, and he decides, it's Monday morning. Let's have a contest and get this office going. He has a contest, and I end up winning $335, something like that. Wow. So, you know, the money that I wrote the check for was taken care of, and God blessed me even more. Amen. So this is what I'm saying. When God calls you out to do something, he's looking for your obedience. But when he gets your obedience, he rewards you. He may not reward you all the time in, in that way. He may give you the power that the next person you pray over gets healed. You know, whatever it is, God is going to use you. Amen. Some people have the gifts of this, that, and the other thing. There was a time in Second Kings, again, going back to Elijah, where they came to him and the food was just horrible. It tasted real bad. The stew that this person made just was, oh, you couldn't eat it. I mean, you've all been places where somebody has fed you something you really just like, you know, you, you can't spit it out fast enough. You know, just can't go. This is what he runs into. There's a bunch of people sitting around, a bunch of men. He said, there was a hundred men. And this person made this stew to feed them. And it tasted absolutely horrible. Elijah says, give me some flour. He took the flour, he sprinkled it in, the stew, the stew tasted fine, he gave it to the man. You know, sometimes it's these little adjustments. But God spoke to him and said, here, put the flour in. You know, you wish it was that easy sometimes. Some of the times somebody feeds you something, you go, you tell them, just give me a little flour. <laughs> oh, that tastes good. Who knows what God will tell you to put in there? Put in some hot sauce. Do you remember Naaman, the great soldier, the great captain of the army, how he had killed several men with a great leader and just worked very, very hard as a soldier. 
was the best soldier in the land, but he had leprosy. So he wanted to get healed of leprosy. They heard about the prophet because one of the servant girls in his house heard him talking to his wife about the leprosy. She overheard the conversation. She said, oh, there's this prophet in, in Israel that'll heal you. Go see him. So they didn't have the ability to send the guy a text. <laughs> he had to write a letter to the king of Israel. Don't amaze, hey, I'm sending this guy. He has leprosy. I need him to be healed. Well, they go do that. Of course, now you're sending letters. You're sending them by courier. So it's taken some time. But finally, he gets that done. Now the king of Israel thinks that the guy is just setting him up for a war, but he's not. So if they tell him where the prophet is, he goes to the prophet Elijah's house. Now here's this big captain of the army, all puffed up, chest out. Here I am. And Elijah sends out his servant. And guy figures, I'm worthy of more than talking to some servant. How can you do this to me? But the servant says, go wash in the Jordan seven times. You know, and the guy's saying, well, I got water where I live. I could wash there and nothing happens. Why you make me come out here? The, the Jordan River is filthy. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you've looked at pictures of the Jordan River, it's not one of the cleanest rivers in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, to this day, it's dirty. Mm -hmm. He tells him, go to the Jordan and wash seven times. Now, Naaman puts up a heck of a fight because he's really upset. He's really upset. He feels totally degraded mm -hmm. that this person who he believes is not worthy to tie his shoe mm -hmm. is telling him that the prophet says go. Mm -hmm. And the prophet himself, Elijah, won't even come out and talk to him. Mm -hmm. But he does it. And he comes out totally clean. You know, and it brings you to think about how sometimes somebody that you looked at, who you figured you know more about the Bible, you know more about Jesus, you know more about this, you know more about that, and they come to you and they say something and you disregard it because of what you believe they are. That's not the way to do it. This is the point he's trying to make. So what, the servant came with the, with the list from the prophet. He came with the message. 
You have to trust that, oh, so-and-so sent me to tell you this. Why didn't they come in? Especially now, today, when you got text messages and all that stuff. Why didn't he just text me? Because he told me to do it. You know, we, we have to understand pride can really get us in a lot of trouble. I mean, Rose was listening this morning to a church service in the Philippines. And the guy was talking about pride. And he brought it down and he boiled it down. You know, he said, you know, you look at this and, you know, what's the third letter in the word pride? It's I. I mean, he used some other word and then third letter and that was I. He said, there's no I in team. There's no I. So he said, you're in a team at church. That was the point he was making. But then he said, you know what pride really boils down to? One word, ego. We all have egos. And when our egos damage our pride is hurt. We don't have pride. Our ego is not in control. We have to get rid of the ego. We can't let it control us. This is what Naaman needed to learn, that he had to get rid of his ego. The minute he got rid of his ego, he got healed. And maybe sometimes it's your ego that blocks what God wants you to do or wants to give you, yes. you can't receive it yes. because you're in the way. That's right. So. Mm -hmm. Get rid of the ego. Right. Joshua 10 it talks about, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. That is written in the book of Jazar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down a full day. Now, I don't know about you, but if the sun stayed up from now until tomorrow and never moved in the sky from where it is, that to me is quite a miracle. That's something we have nothing to do with. That has to be all of God. Because it doesn't say the sun just, just stayed, it stayed in the exact same spot for 24 hours. It stood still. The day stood still. There's never been a day like it. Before, there's never been a day like it since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. But the Lord was fighting for Israel. Amen. He needed to stop time to let Israel get there. Now, I've been in situations where I, I felt time had stopped. I remember traveling, and I was on 595 
getting off at Davie Boulevard, no, what, down in Davie somewhere. I forget what street it was, 31st Avenue maybe. I don't know. But I'm riding along and I'm praying. All of a sudden I start praying in tongues. All of a sudden I close my eyes. And I'm praying for what I feel is minutes and minutes. And I open up my eyes and I'm in exactly the same spot I was. I didn't move a bit. It's like Everything was suspended while I prayed. I thought that was just unbelievable. I mean, how God did that, because I know I was praying. Now, it must have been in real time, a split second. But in spiritual time, it felt like minutes that I was praying and that everything was, time was just suspended. So you, you, you know God is capable of doing so much. We limit God badly because we're so limited ourselves. But God has given us these gifts to get us out of the box. So we'll bring God out of the box. Amen. Because the more we operate in the gifts of the Spirit, the bigger and the bigger we're making God. Amen. He's no longer consumed by this little box in you. You know, remember the jack in the box? You twist them around and all, you make this music and all of a sudden it pop up. That's but some people have God. They just put them in this box until they need them. They start twisting the handle, playing this little music, all of a sudden God pops out and they tell them what they need. I mean, if you've never seen a jack-in-the-box, check one out. You know, Google it. Because this is where the people were. This is where some people have become, but because of these spiritual gifts, because of the miracles that are witnessed in the Word of God, and they're there in the Old Testament just as much as they're there in the New Testament. And we need to understand that. I mean, look at Jesus. He turned water into wine. A lot of people consider that the greatest you know, what I take away from that story is when he said to his mother, woman, it's not time. I can't imagine saying those words to my mother. I mean, there, yeah, there isn't a two by four small enough. You know, the paddle's coming out with that one. But he addresses it, and he turns the water into wine. Yeah. I mean, he, he heals this 
official son in Capernaum. The guy's, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. But he's done so much for each and every one of us. And we're not worthy. We're not worthy of what he's done. I mean, look at the guy at the pool of Bethesda. How pathetic a situation where you have to lay there and somebody put you there for 38 years. Pick you up at night, drop you off in the morning. You know, and you wait for this water to stir and hope you're the first one in it, knowing that you're never gonna get there. And all of a sudden, along comes Jesus. And says, get up and walk. Just get up and walk. Mm -hmm. The guy believed him right off the bat. I mean, he's got nothing to lose. <laughs> you can't walk so long. Just get up and walk. So he gets up and walks. But what a miracle that is. Because Every one of us have run across people that won't walk. I mean, they might be physically capable of walking, but they just won't do it. They're called to do this. They're assigned to do that, yet they don't do it. They run, they close the door, they lock themselves in a room, they they just avoid whatever it is. Yeah. Then he feeds, what, 5,000 at the Sea of Galilee with some fish and some bread. I know that'll work. I know that miracle works. I've seen that one. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't see 5,000 people but we had one of those Stouffer lasagnas. Yeah. <laughs> Family stock. That's how big it was. We had 40 some people show up to eat. That's what we got. That's what's out there. But for some reason, we kept cutting the same size slices putting them on a plate and we just never ran out. Not till the last person was fed. And that's had nothing to do with that thing getting any bigger. It's just God kept filling the plates. And he fed them. Then Another miracle of Jesus. He's walking on the Sea of Galilee. What an amazing thing to walk on water. He got Peter to do it. Come on, he says, Peter, get out of the boat. Peter gets out, he's staring at God. God's going, 
Jesus, I mean, Jesus is going, come on, come on. All of a sudden, in, in Peter's head, he gets this little thing that says, you're really out in the water. You're standing on water. You can't do that. You know, natural man overtook his mind. And he lost his focus on Jesus. And down he went. I mean, the main lesson in that whole series is, yeah, Jesus walked on water, but you can't take your eyes off Christ. You have to continually look at him no matter what the situation is. Because the minute you lose focus, and you start to trust yourself, you're done. There's people in here that can all tell you stories about that. I've heard some of them where they were doing good, listening to God, everything was going fine. Then boom, they decided to listen to themselves. They took their eyes off Jesus and that was the end of that. Just a matter. Of course, he healed blind men. Healed blind men in Jerusalem, everywhere. You know, you had your guy, blind Barnabas, sitting in there. Have mercy on me, Lord. Son of David. You have the other guy that can't see that David, Jesus, I mean, spits in the dirt, makes these little mud pies. Sticks him on his face, on his eyes. He's blind. He doesn't see what Jesus did. <laughs> Just think if he could see out of one eye and he's looking and going, you spit in that. You put it in my eye. But he didn't do that. The guy couldn't see. Jesus healed him. And one of the greatest things he did was you had Lazarus, his friend, dead for four years, stinking. I mean, if you've been around, being around a dead person is one thing. Being around one that's been dead for four days, it's a totally different thing. Jesus just calls him out of there. Get up and walk. Come on. And he comes out with his burial clothes on and everything. I mean, you talk about resurrection. Jesus gets resurrected. We're going to celebrate that in the end of the month. Resurrection Sunday. But he calls Lazarus that. And I've thought about that. You know, if you don't have Christ, you're spiritually dead. And each one of you have the opportunity to reach out to someone and call them out of the tomb of the world and bring them into Christ. Because they're living with burial clothes on. They're living in a world of death. You have the opportunity to give them life. 
I want to look at some of the early church. They were given boldness to spread the word. It's just an extra power. It's an extra strength that comes on you. You know, when you pray for the Holy Spirit and you, you ask for those divine appointments or you know you're going into one, God, just give me the strength. Give me the power. Use the name of Jesus. I mean, look what Peter and John. I mean, people were hauling sick people out in beds and wheelchairs just so they'd walk by. They get healed. If you look at some of the old healers, <coughs> ministers of the day, you see like John G. Lake and some of the others. One of them has a college medal. But Catherine Coleman, all these great people of God, and they're bringing people in, in in wheelchairs. I mean, I'm watching something by John G. Lake, and they actually got nurses and people getting wheeled in in their hospital beds. And he's praying for them, and they're getting up and leaving. I mean, this was an era of power. And where did we lose it? We lost it with modern society. Because we began to think we can do it all ourselves. We have a horrible time in, in the United States because we have so much that we don't really depend on God the way we should and the way people in other places of the world can. I mean, Paul, Barnabas, all the things they did. I mean, Paul just never stops. He just did the work of God. I mean, he, first he went around and killed every Christian, but then <laughs> Jesus decided, uh, I've had enough of this guy. You know, it's time to meet him. <laughs> Lions in. And the next thing you know, he's written a lot of the New Testament. He's out there preaching. He's healed people. He's raised people from the dead. He's done everything. He was just on fire for God. It's, it's good to get people that are on fire. Because the fire of God burns internally in ever for you. And so he preaches about the fire all the time. Because the fire is what sends you out. The fire is what gets you to do things. The fire that burns inside you for Jesus is the fire that you use to convey to someone else. And it's very necessary. So what do we do today? What about today? What about today?
Ephesians 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. We know the power that works in us. We know what we're asked to do. And we're going to be asked to do different things at different times. Yes. Different people are going to be asked to do different things. Yes. You might be asked to do this. This one over here has to do that. But it all works for the glory of God. Amen. That's the Amen. only thing that matters. Matthew reminds us, with man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen. 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 Let's stand. Praise the Lord. <laughs> with God, all things are possible. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. Nothing's impossible with God. You've been healed. Your sins are forgiven. And Jesus paid the price for your sins. The ones you committed yesterday, the ones you'll commit today, and the ones you'll commit tomorrow are already paid the price. You're already forgiven of each of those. The illnesses that we, that we have, we know we're healed by his stripes. But it's our faith. It's our presence to get rid of it, to make things different. This morning, if you have a prayer need, you have any kind of need at all, I mean, the altar's open. Jesus is in the house. And if you're carrying a burden, you shouldn't be. Because you should surrender everything to Jesus. I mean, he didn't die to load you up with problems. Amen. He died and resurrected himself to save you of those problems, to work you out of those things. He died to have you surrender your will to him so he could bless you abundantly. Your cup runneth over. Understand that. Your cup runneth over. Think about that. Think about that. Your jar is not half empty. It's not half full. It's abundantly overflowing. This is who we are in Christ. This is who we stand up to be is men and women of God with all power, all authority to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? Amen. 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 So again, if you need prayer this morning, we're here, we have prayer people that will pray with you.